you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell. I initially started this podcast to learn more about the ins and outs of travel. Eventually, I discovered there's so much more to a person than where they go. My goal is to learn more from people who are going places. I've interviewed community leaders, entrepreneurs, veterans, authors, and experts who tell fascinating stories and give amazing advice. Thanks for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Hi everyone, you're listening to Going Places. I'm your host, Kara Orbell, and today I'm very happy to welcome Simon back to the podcast. Woo! Yeah, so it's been about six months it's, since we recorded our first episode. Yeah, it's been six months of yeah. chaos. Yeah? yeah? Tell me what's up, what's uh, new and what's next. I mean, as, as I'm sure you have followed on the Instagrams, there's been a lot of ski filming yeah. as of late, and I mean, Utah's insane winter yeah. that never ends. Yeah, it's been amazing. But yeah, so it's been good. I did a lot of random commercial work, but then also have been doing a series on all the independently owned ski resorts in Utah. Oh, cool. And so we did four of the seven this season and we're doing three next season. Cool. Um, It's with my buddy, Nate Luby, uh, also Nate in the wild on Instagram. And he and I have been bouncing around and having a lot of fun with our friend Mac um and it's been a really fun project and i've gotten to ski some places i wouldn't normally go hmm. what's yeah. been your favorite place to ski there's different things about different places okay so if i was trying to get a weekend away with friends i would go to eagle point down in beaver oh it's three hours away from yeah. Salt lake but it is very affordable to go down mm-hmm. and you can rent a condo or a house that sleeps like 10 people hmm. and split your cost and it's only like 300 a night Oh, that's not Which bad. Which is super cheap. Yeah. So like for a weekend away with friends, you could make it really affordable. Mm-hmm. And also the lift tickets aren't that badly priced. Cool. As far as the best views of an entire resort, Sundance Resort wins, or Sundance Mountain Resort wins by far. Literally yeah. everywhere you look, you have an amazing view and you're just kind of drooling, especially when it's like mm. perfect weather. Cool. Um, and then you have Mount Timpanogos. That's there too. Huh. Yeah. Is yeah. Sundance right by Mount Timbinogos? Yeah. It's like oh, right at the base. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. The, the huh. first ski racing they did for the resort was yeah. when they would hike up Timp and then ski down the glacier. Oh my God. Back in like the forties. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So uh, how has ski photography and videography changed your perspective on just what you're doing? I mean, it's... It's been a fun change being from a very different background and jumping into the outdoor action sports world has been interesting because there's a lot of people that like, that's all they do. Yeah. And it's been interesting because I look at it differently than like, especially with that series we're yes, we're trying to highlight really fun skiing and stuff like that. And, but a lot of times with especially marketing content, Mm -hmm. you see, it's like all the same stuff of like big sweeping turns, throwing snow in the air, a lot of stuff like that, which like, it's cool and rad, but this project isn't about that. Yeah. Like this project's been fun because we're highlighting a resort experience and how different places have different uh, vibes. Oh, cool. And so if you actually watch every episode, mm-hmm. which we have three of them live, the fourth one's coming out soon. Huh. Uh, I'm actually editing the fourth one right now. Cool. Like, that's been my, lead, my yeah. thing as of the last week. Um, but uh, everyone has a completely different feel. Yeah. Like, if you watch them back to back to back, like, you will realize that, like, 
the feel of the entire thing fits the resort. Especially oh, if you cool. go to the resort. Yeah. It fits the resort and like it all checks out. Cool. Yeah. I've always wondered like how how do you get that vibe of a resort if that's the first time you've been there? Like do you have to take a day to like understand it or what's the best way? Research ahead of time. Okay. Like go on the website. What are you feeling? Like what are they going for? Hmm. So like Nordic Valley is very much a mom and pop fun. Like let's mm-hmm. go have a day where it's chill. But it's also like very much like that mom and pop feel. Yeah. Whereas Sundance is this big luxury experience. Like everything mm. about the place yeah. is high end. Like they, they had a they let us stay at a condo and they gave oh, us fun. dinner at one oh. of the restaurants. And it's literally like perfectly cooked locally grown steak. Cool. Perfectly cooked vegetables with all this flavor. The condo had radiant heat flooring, oh, which is a wow. very different vibe than the mom and pop little four lift, five hundred and fifty acre whatever mm-hmm. at Nordic Valley. Yeah, and you have like just these grand views. Everything about Sundance mm-hmm. is like grand. Would be how I describe it. Mm-hmm. And then you go down to uh, Eagle Point, and Eagle Point was originally two separate resorts. Yeah. And one is very chill. One is like steep, really like fun, but challenging skiing. Okay. And so like even like the whole vibe of that is like a chill weekend away, but then also like high energy. Cause if you're going down on the one side, mm-hmm. it is steep, fun skiing that like you really would have fun doing if you really want to challenge yourself. Yeah. Um, but again, like even that is a different vibe than the other half of the resort. So it's yeah. like trying to like, meld it together and like get to understand what it is about and then powder mountain which is going to be our fourth episode that's coming Mm. out soon is very much like a chill community vibe but it's also expansive it's 8500 acres of skiable terrain wow largest ski area in north america Mm. and like trying to grasp like the chill factor but the fun factor as well because it's really got that like upbeat but chill vibe so yeah. we're kind of using some like funk music in it yeah mm. so yeah no we're, cool. we're making it fun so like yeah also oh excuse me sundance we had a four-time olympian as our town oh wow and so we brought in like a lot of like cinematic music and vibe and mm-hmm. like really kind of like made it feel like you're watching a film which mm-hmm. again goes with the fact that you also have sundance film festival which yeah. started at the resort yeah uh, but yeah so like cool. every single one like you really grasp the experience just being there mm-hmm. um and also paying attention to a lot of the minor details yeah um you really notice like one of the things i loved about eagle point is they don't have even like an art like a, a scan system it's literally just like your tickets like they change the ticket every day and you put the wire thing on your, oh your zipper and yeah wow and it's like super chill because like if you're there you literally go there and there's nothing else up there so like you're there for the resort yeah yeah that's really cool where yeah. can my listeners find the videos uh youtube channel the journal of lost time okay. uh the journal of lost time is a travel publication hmm. founded by one of the founders of i think it was medium um and my buddy nate that has been the host and director is one of the senior editors for the journal of lost time and so we've been publishing with them to try and help 
bring a little bit of a different experience to what they have on their channels. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been fantastic. The response has been great. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm super excited for the last one to come out. Yeah. What else have you been up to? Uh, literally, my world has been skiing or trying to get the funding together to go back to the Congo. Yeah. Tell us um, more. I mean, when we talked off record last time, I was working on trying to get over to tell the story of Jean-Claude, my friend. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go tell a story about him. And then everything changed about two months ago. Mm -hmm. um, he is, so the Nebobongo Hospital is like pretty well self-sustaining. Yeah. And he felt called to move on mm -hmm. and do something else. So he is working to start a, another hospital in the capital of the I can't even pronounce the province, but basically in the same province that Nebobongo is, I think it's like Haut Awele province. Um, cool. I can give you the spelling for yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but basically, he want the goal is to go up to the capital of the province and build another hospital to work on expanding healthcare in the community. Hmm. Um, because of the fact that they've had such an impact at Nebobongo, mm -hmm. and they've been able to grow programming around creating a healthier community. Not necessarily just like them treating people, but also mm -hmm. like preventative care. Cool. Um, they, he's feeling called to go like expand that into another part. Yeah. So it's about a four hour drive, I think it is, in good conditions oh away um, from where Navabongo is. Yeah. Um, but they could literally be a four hour drive in good conditions or a four day drive in bad conditions. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's um, crazy. Yeah, so road conditions out there are not great all yeah. the time. Um, so he, so it's been one of those like what I was originally like a personal project of like yeah. when I get the money to go tell the story, like I'll do it. Yeah. Now it's like okay, let's get the funding together to do it. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of trying to get some sponsors for this um, big expensive project. Yeah. Um, just the nature of the beast of that realm of travel. Mm -hmm is it's just stupidly expensive to get in. So yeah. we have to fly from the U.S. to Uganda and then take a privately chartered plane from Uganda into the Congo. Oh, gosh. And so it's just one of those things that's super expensive. And even just for me and one other person to travel mm -hmm. and do the entire thing is probably going to take about $50,000. Mm -hmm. um, I've got about $15,000 raised already. Yeah. And my guess is by the time I'm done editing, it will have consumed about two and a half months of my life. Holy wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. How do you feel approaching that? Do you, does it make you excited? Or like how, what is it like to like look ahead and be like, oh, I have two and a half months of It's exciting and stressful focus. at the same time. Yeah. Um, if I had the money, it would be, okay, cool. I've got two and, two and a half months to make a really killer product. Yeah. But at the same time, trying to get the money is just as much work as it is doing the project. Yeah. And so it's trying to balance, like, I have bills to pay right now mm. with trying to go do this really rad thing that I really want to do yeah. that will help a lot of people, especially mm. when we're in an economic time where a lot of people and businesses are being a little more tight-lipped mm -hmm. um, and, sure. and kind of scaling back a bit. Yeah. Um, and... So it's kind of trying to find that delicate balance of like, hey, 
this is a non-profit thing. Like, I can yeah. actually give you tax deduction. Stat, like, I can uh, give someone a tax write-off because I have 501c3 capabilities. Yeah. Um, I have the ability to make it a full 501c3 donation, huh. um, which helps a little bit with yeah. some of it, but it's still, like, trying to get another $35,000 is yeah. a lot of money. That's a lot of and money. And so trying to find that, like, fine line of, like, what gets the project moving, but also, like, making sure that we're doing it well. Because mm-hmm. it one of the things that I've learned from doing projects with NGOs is like there's doing a project like and you could do this for any nonprofit. Mm-hmm. There's doing a project. Yeah. Getting something out there, whatever, throwing something at the wall with whatever you have, hoping it sticks. Yeah. Or there is also investing in doing it well and truly figuring out what is the best way to tell the story to make this mm-hmm. happen. Yeah. And it is two very different things. And a lot of times nonprofits go with the first one mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, we need to t- we need to spend the money on our mission, which mm-hmm. I 100% agree that you should be focused on spending the money on your mission. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have to be able to tell the story of your mission well to get more money to go do the thing in a bigger and better way. Hmm. Yeah. Like, it's the whole, like, $1 gets you to $10, or $100 gets you to $1,000. Yeah. Like, it, and there's no guarantees with anything, but it gives you a better foot forward. Yeah. Um, but, like, when you're talking about spending potentially $20,000 in just travel and, like, getting equipment and everything yeah. over there, and people, like, that's not a small chunk of change. No. So, mm. Yeah. Interesting. So can you give us a little bit of background just for people who are just tuning in? So who is this doctor? What did he do? Jean-Claude Batonini. <laughs> the man, the myth. No, he's not a myth. He is, the legend. He is, he is a legend. I, I yeah. would actually say that's an appropriate term. Um, he is the surgeon for an astronomical amount of people on the American standard. Mm-hmm. Um, we... Met originally in 2008 in Gabon while he was doing his residency because he is a formally trained surgeon. Okay. Um, and he spent 12 years working with a hospital in Nebobongo in the Democratic Republic of Congo, basically taking a hospital that was like getting by and growing it and really helping the community around it, mm-hmm. start implementing things like malnutrition pro- prevention program and anti-malaria program where mm. it's actually like clean water efforts. Um, because, oh, excuse me, in the Congo, you can't do the same water, clean water efforts as you would do in other parts of Africa. Okay. Um, because of the nature of how wet it is, it's Mm -hmm. harder to get big equipment and big machines in. Mm. So it's harder to use something like a a well drill to drill down for water. Mm -hmm. However, you have freshwater springs available, which you don't have in like... West Africa, Mm -hmm. where it's the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what you do is you basically cover these. I think we talked about this in the last one. You basically basically just protect the freshwater spring. But they've taken, doing stuff like that, they've literally taken villages where they'd have maybe 50 kids come into the hospital with malaria one year down to like one or two the next year. Wow. Just because of the act of protecting the spring water. Yeah. And so it's. He was able to really start making a lot of that stuff happen. And E4 cool. Project is staying supporting 
uh, Nebobongo Hospital, which is okay. an amazing, great thing. Like, cool. I'm glad to see them do it. And it's really going to help keep that moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where Jean-Claude is like, okay, it is at a point where, like, it is staffed appropriately in country mm-hmm. yep. that he can move on to the next thing. Okay. Um, and that's where the new hospital in Isiro yeah. is moving. So for that, is there new challenges oh, in yes. the city? I mean, it's a new place, so you have to worry about new infrastructure because it is an actual city. Mm-hmm. You have infrastructure already in place, so how are you working around the current infrastructure? Yeah. You also have to deal with different government entities. I mean, hmm. the hospital in Nebobongo was an existing hospital that he yeah. was just growing. This one he started from scratch. So not only is he going to into something that's brand new, yeah. he's literally having to build the buildings in the whole nine yards now, which hmm. as we discussed five minutes ago about road conditions, just driving, yeah. you got to get equipment there. You wow. got to get building materials there. And so it's one of those like trying to figure out what's going to be best. And mm-hmm. as... An American, I don't know what the best building materials are. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the best thing is. Is there certain things that have to happen for a hospital to be able to go well? Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Mm. But working with Congolese people will help build that. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of stuff that you have to do that you didn't have to do for the other hospital. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of that challenge. Also, it's he has to go find all new fund- funding sources because mm. he is going to a different NGO uh, for this new effort, mm-hmm. it means that all of the resources he had are no longer there. So yeah. he's he's now having to put himself in front of all new resources. And at the same time, international travel is harder mm-hmm. because COVID. Mm-hmm. So getting in front of all these people, he's having to find some different partners to get like Americans in front of other Americans to try and get funding. Hmm. And... That's where, like, trying to tell the story well comes in yeah. of, like, we have to tell a unified story about why why Jean-Claude, why Isero, hmm. why all of this, and why now? Yeah. And how are we going to make it happen? And so it's basically we have to create a whole unified thing around all of these questions because it is something so new. Yeah. That's a big project. Yeah. It's, it's a big undertaking. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like what you did. Because I remember in our first conversation, your goal was to highlight his story. Yeah. And now the situation has flipped so quickly that it's like facilitated that goal of yours. It's yes. Really it's it's telling his story, but also telling like the future story. Yeah. Like how hmm. do we, how do we get him moving yeah. into something so amazing and so awesome? Like I, I can't fathom Especially, like, if he gets his hospital up and running, and, or I should say when he gets his hospital up and running, let's, Mm -hmm. let's think positive thoughts here. (laughs) Uh, Like, when this hospital's up and running and, like, growing, and then partners with the existing hospital in Namabongo, Mm -hmm. I'm like, you start to create an entire healthcare system in the region. Cool. Guess what happens? You can start putting clinics in other places. Mm -hmm. You can start doing outreach things where you're going out and doing special like if you bring in like an eye doctor yeah. you could do treatments at both facilities you could have a doctor come in for a little bit longer and impact more people cool. you could have them do trainings at two different facilities mm-hmm. so you can really start to create a healthcare system that again creates these lives and i i, don't, I think i mentioned this in the last podcast mm-hmm. is like i my mindset is no one should have to leave their home 
and when I say have to, it's not like, oh, I feel like moving to this other area because of yeah. This is like refugee status. You shouldn't have to become yeah. a refugee for any reason other than war mm-hmm. or political, like, it's just people, insane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and no one in the U.S. understands what that's like. No. As much as people try to say, people mm-hmm. in the U.S. have no idea what true political persecution, et cetera, et cetera, no. is. Yeah. Um, and you shouldn't have to leave your home because you can't get clean water. You can't feed your kids. Hmm. Like you should be able to live a sustainable life where you want your home to be. Mm-hmm. Whether that's the Congo, whether that's the U.S., whether it's South America, whether it's Asia, mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to leave your home just to feed your kids. Yeah. Or yourself. Wow. That's a big up- un- undertaking for you, though. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way that I live life. Yeah. It's like, how can I do projects that will help me get to that? Wow. And like, that's, I do, I do take projects just to pay bills. But like, yeah. at the end of the day, my goal with projects, especially these types of projects yeah. where it's not necessarily me making the same day rate that I would make in the yeah. U.S. on like a big commercial job. Mm-hmm. I want these projects to have a lasting impact that helps communities because also... I want communities to be able to help each other. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have it be foreigners come in and do this thing for people because yeah. that's colonialism. We talked about that in the last yeah. episode. Yeah. Like, I want you to be able to grow your community. Mm-hmm. And I want to support you growing your community wherever that is. Even mm-hmm. if it's here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. I want to help people grow the community mm-hmm. wherever I am. Yeah. Is that a lot of pressure? Like, no. when you think about it so existentially like that? I mean... It makes conversations around it more interesting because it's so easy to be cut and dry with a lot of things. Yeah. But this creates all of the gray area Hmm. in between Mm -hmm. because, and like, and this is something that has been a huge topic in U.S. homelessness. Yeah. And you have people that are in two camps. We need to house them and they deserve to be on the ground, like out Mm. homeless because there's a group and it's literally two ends of the spectrum. Where they, whatever they did, they deserve to be homeless. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, we need to get people housed. And it's two very different extremes. Mm -hmm. And there's, people are so polarized on it that they're not willing to actually sit and have conversations with the other about where each other's coming from. Mm -hmm. Do I think everyone deserves to have housing? 110%. I also think everyone deserves to have healthcare. That's affordable. Yeah. Um, But also... I was talking with a pastor who does a lot of work with homeless communities in upstate New York. Mm. And he said that somewhere in the range of about 40% of homeless people didn't use drugs prior to becoming homeless. Mm. I don't know exactly how accurate that stat is, but everyone always assumes if you became homeless that you're on some sort of drug bender, whatever, that you deserve to be out on the street. But in reality, there's a lot of Americans that are one hospital trip away from being bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And you could easily end up living in your car down at the end of the street. Yeah. That's crazy. And so, again, how do we make communities sustainable? Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable having people living on the street in the middle of winter here in Salt Lake City. No. It is dangerous and people have died. Mm -hmm. How do we make it so that doesn't happen? How do we create a fully sustainable ecosystem not saying socialism where everyone is equal and everyone makes the same dollar. Yeah. But, like, how do we make it so people aren't dying on the street just because they don't have a, ha- a roof over their head? Yeah. And heat. Hmm. Wow. 
Sorry to get dark. No, <laughs> you're good. It's it's an interesting. I don't know. I it's cool that your job is so like you can think about those things so deeply, and that's yeah. what drives you and continues to drive you. And it, yeah. I feel like for social justice issues, it can polarize some people. Yes. But you're in a way where you aren't, which I'm impressed by. Well, you have to look at you have to look at data and facts. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing that a lot of people live in ideals. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, what are the facts about a situation? Mm-hmm. And what are tangible, what are tangible proven ways to prevent whatever the issue was? Mm-hmm. Or how do we change an issue that we need to create a positive outcome? Yeah. And there are a lot of things that we don't have a tangible outcome to right now. We're also in a day and age where we can't truly have the conversation because people don't want to sit in a room with people that don't think like them. No. <laughs> and this is both sides of the political aisle in the U.S. Yeah. They don't want to sit and have a hard conversation. Yeah. Sitting and having hard conversations with people you don't agree with is how we make change. Hmm. Yeah. Like, that's... It, it is the weirdest, like... But, like, if you live in a bubble... You're never leaving the bubble. Yeah. And the minute someone makes you feel uncomfortable, you're going to freak out. And we have watched it play out. Yeah. But if you live in a community where you're constantly challenging and broadening your horizons and making you think about things differently, mm-hmm. you can have different conversations that open doors. Hmm. So how does that work when you're abroad working with NGOs? Does that, does that come into play as well? Like the polarization, the inability to have those conversations? No. Uh, no. Not as much. It's just so, the U.S.? I, it, I mean, it does happen. Okay. But a lot of times when I'm working overseas, by the time I get there, we have such a, stru- like a strict yeah. objective of what we're trying to do. Oh. A lot of times when I'm getting over there, it's like, here's the projects that we're working to get going. Yeah. Like, this is what our focus is. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of conversation... It's not necessarily about the work we're doing. Yeah. It's conversations as you're learning about the culture and the community. Hmm. Um, it was a big one when I lived in Asia. Yeah. That there was a lot of like learning about the culture mm-hmm. and why things were done certain ways mm-hmm. that a lot of people forget. And mm. Americans tend to do things very abruptly. <laughs> it's also interesting being a northerner. Yeah. Um, I, I had a client that was from the south, southeast U.S. Okay. And my first time being in the office, they asked me to pull something up on the uh, computer. And the CEO of the company at the time had only used Internet Explorer, which anyone oh my technologically, God. even remotely savvy, would know you don't use Internet Explorer. Yeah. And I literally turned around and go, where's your Internet browser? And he's like, oh, it's right there. And apparently when I told him, like, that's not a good browser to use, I was very sharp. And so my usual contact and I, we were out for drinks afterwards, and he's like, hey, man, this isn't New York anymore. (laughs) You need to be a little softer in your approach. Oh, (laughs) that's funny. Um, So there's a lot of, like, figuring out nuance of how to approach situations. A lot of times when I'm overseas, I will go into spaces where I don't carry the camera the first time, or I'll carry a small camera, because you have to, like, warm people up to the camera. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit last episode. Yeah. Huh. And so it's a lot of like understanding where culture goes. Interesting. I yeah. studied international business, so I love this stuff. Like I literally did <laughs> yeah. case study upon case study about this stuff, and it's cool. There the is polarizing politics in every country. Yeah. There are people on both sides. Yeah. 
it's been very interesting watching what has played out in Burkina Faso and Mali that yeah. are now re- basically they were French colonies. Okay. And now the countries are just like screw the French. Oh. And basically anyone related to France, the country, is getting kicked out of the country, including wow. military, journalists, the whole, basically like persona non grata. Oh my God. Like you are getting like no one associated with the country of France. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is this happening right now? Right now. Oh my God. Like it's, so I don't know if we talked about this in the last one, but with Burkina and Mali have a big terrorist issue going on right okay. now. Okay. Um, it's been going on since 2013, mm. basically. Hmm. International news organizations will say the last seven years, but it's actually been ten. Wow. Plus, ten plus, I should say. Yeah. Ten years ago, they tried to, terrorists tried to take over the country of Mali. Okay. Um, and I was about two hours away from that fighting. Two, two and a half hours away from that fighting. Oh my God. Yeah. That was, uh, getting that phone call of like, you have to leave now. Yeah. I was on the border of Burkina and Mali, basically. Wow. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, huh. um, in that region, it's gotten worse and worse. Okay. And so, in Burkina, in the last three years, there's been, I think, four coup d'etats. Oh, my God. military takeovers. Wow. By different leaders. Yeah. Um, and basically, each one is like, I'm sick of dealing with it your way. I'm going to go do it my way. And wow. so, it's just created this chaos that... It's good and bad because they are actually doing something mm-hmm. that the French were just kind of like pushing the terrorists up into the desert. Yeah. And who knows what will happen. But if you follow, like, I, if you want to pay attention to what really happens, go to BBC and look at specific regions of the world. Okay. It's the easiest way, in my opinion. Yeah. To actually know what's happening locally in different places. Hmm. Um. And you can really kind of get an idea of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And up until six months ago, a lot of what's happening in West Africa was not being discussed on the international stage. Yeah. It was literally like when they started pushing France out of the countries that Mm. they started actually getting attention. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked about that. Um, I don't know if it's with other guests, but I work as a researcher too. And we talked about... Um, especially during the Ukraine war, like yeah. there's so much media just depending on where Europe. Yeah. So other places don't get that media because they're not, mm-hmm. the spotlight's not on them, yep. which isn't, yeah, yeah, not good. But that's one of the things I like about BBC's news yeah. is the fact that they do have BBC Africa. They have like, if you go on the yeah. website or whatever, you can go to world and then it's yeah. in different regions. And so you can actually see like different things that are happening good yeah. and bad in huh. those parts of the world. Is that how you get your news? That's how I get a lot of it. I also okay. get a bunch from talking to people that I know. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Like we talked about last time. Yeah. Uh, I have friends in every place. Yeah. Um, did you text your friend back? I did. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I should have talked to him last week. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Daniel's great. Oh, good. Uh, shout out Daniel. <laughs> yeah, shout out Daniel. Um, That's funny. But yeah, no, it's... It's a weird, yeah. weird world. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's it's weird how easily, like, disconnected you can be, but how much you should know. Well, you and, like, can also get so sucked into yeah. like, your own little thing. Yeah. Like, you could literally never leave the American political bubble. Oh, I know. And it's crazy. Like, 
Yeah. It's nuts. I could go down that rabbit hole yep. for a long time. <laughs> That's not why we're here. Yeah. No. <laughs> Let's, so you're trying to get funding. Yeah. What, how's it going with everything? Um, it's been hit or miss. Okay. Um, I really has been a push for like the last three weeks of trying yeah. to get it out, but also like trying to balance other work. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's, I'm, I'm trying to also reach out to brands that I think would benefit from pushing it out. Oh, cool. Because I, it's, I've done these types of projects where it's like, I work specifically with the NGO, we get the funding, yeah. go do it. Yeah. But because this is such a new thing, I also want to build the awareness around it. Hmm. And so I really want to try and find a couple brands, whether it's an outdoor brand that's looking to do something different. Yeah. Or a company that like any any miscellaneous company could use a feel-good story. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of companies, especially like pharmaceutical, yeah. healthcare, you name it. But yeah. like, I've seen companies that are like dental companies do things about bike riders. Like, mm. so like, it's not like a, oh, I have to be in this one specific realm of business. Yeah. Um, but I want to be able to build the awareness around the hospital and what they're trying to do. Cool. So I'm trying to find some partners that they're investing into making this happen yeah where i am not only making the content for jean-claude and the mm-hmm. new efforts but also i'm making a version of it that i'm going to send out to sponsor a yeah that they are going and they're going to publish it and cool. we're going to give them some media to yeah. go with it um and basically just try and build awareness around this to make this hospital yeah. actually happen that's so cool yeah because then each brand will share that story which is such a unique way of spreading it and it's one of those things that like is it what a brand would normally think of as marketing no but sometimes you have to think outside the box yeah and it's like it's just more authentic yeah yeah like if you do something drastic but it's like oh we we sponsored this cool effort Mm -hmm. then like people will tune in yeah i mean it's it's the same thing like with the ski project like yeah it's a very different type of project but Hmm. we had 5,000 views on the Sundance episode in like four days. Cool. Five days. That's awesome. Like that. Yeah. And for a channel that only had 800 subscribers, yeah. that's a pretty That's a big deal. Term. Yeah, like most yeah. of their YouTube videos were not that big. And okay. like it hit and the the founder of the company was like, okay, I see the point of the storytelling. Yeah. Method. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I see why you guys are doing the story this way. Yeah. And so it's like, it's different. Yeah. Like, because a lot of what they were doing was, like, tourism board stuff. Got it. And so it's a lot more, like, your typical tourism board marketing. Yeah. Whereas this is, like, we're developing whole stories. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's just doing something drastically different. But mm-hmm. it has impact. That's really cool. Yeah. So. And gets eyeballs. When you are working, especially in the outdoor industry. Yep. You see all of the same, like, outdoor videos, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Does that drive you nuts? Yes. Really? Yes. That's so funny. Yes. I, because it's so easy to find different ways to do things. Yeah. Like, I hate when I see people go to the same places. And, like, I I see in some of the outdoor groups is, like, where specifically did this thing get shot? And I'm, like, go find your own cool place. Yeah. Like, it's, and that's a, a general thing with the outdoors of, like, Let's not blow up specific locations that are really cool places. Yeah. Um, because it, obviously national parks are national parks. They are yeah. going to always get blown up. Oh, yeah. But like other places that are fun little spots. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to blow them all up. Yeah. Like 
we can move past this like influencer I gotta have this shot in this place where you show up for two minutes take your photo and leave yeah and just go out in a general area and experience yeah and do something different yeah that's an interesting perspective like yeah. It's crazy too because people, like, that's what people do. Mm-hmm. Even at the national parks. Oh, yeah. They show up for five minutes yep. and then they leave. Yep. It's so crazy. I, sitting down in Hanksville, Utah, mm-hmm. with a buddy a year ago this past week. Oh, nice. Uh, we were out camping. Oh, I saw that on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my buddy Andy and I, shout out Andy, <laughs> um, we were down there just get a getaway and we were hanging out, just literally hanging out in this one spot. And the number of people that were like, zip, take photos on a very specific rock in the space. Oh, my God. Get back in their car and leave. Yeah. The next one come up, boom, 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 leave. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not far off the road, but it's also not right on the road. No. And so it's like, okay, why do we have to keep blowing up this very specific spot? (laughs) Like, you're not not truly experiencing it. Like, you're there for a shot. You're not there to like... I want to bask in it. Like yeah. we truly loved the fact that we shot a double rainbow there. Oh, cool. We shot Astro time lapse there. Wow. Like we truly just like enjoyed the space. Yeah. We got stuck in a sandstorm because cool. it like just wind was yeah. crazy. We also got stuck in torrential rain, which is what led to the double rainbow. Oh, shit. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I always think my boyfriend and I went to Arches yeah. um, last year. That was our first trip. And we were there, and we were probably at the main, the big arch, like the license plate arch, yeah. probably for... I like how you call it a license plate arch. I know. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it. We were there for probably two hours, yeah. and we saw so many people take so many dumb pictures of themselves, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh, like, just sit here and look at it. Next time, you don't need to take a picture. Next time, go up to Dead Horse State Park. Okay. It is just outside Moab. Yeah. And... It's almost like the Grand Canyon. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Especially Good from the, the upper viewpoint. You're not supposed it's, to share it. It's a, Come it's on. a park. It's an actual <laughs> park. If it's a place that's not in, this, in an actual park. Like, yeah. This is, it's, oh, yeah. State parks and national parks are what they are. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But yeah, Dead Horse is, a, is another fun one that's in that okay. area. Okay. Good to know. Cool. Yeah. So what else are you up to? Uh, I've been doing a lot of beer pouring for Athletic Brewing. Okay, tell me, what is Athletic Brewing? Athletic Brewing is the leading non-alcoholic beer company. Okay. Um, started in 2018 and has exploded, and my girlfriend and I are both ambassadors for the company. And we've been doing a lot of beer pouring events for them in the Salt Lake City area. Okay. Which has been an interesting uh, response. So we've done... Yeah stuff at rock climbing and then at ski resorts and cool. the ski resort crowd is so mixed it's fascinating because <gasps> you get the younger crowd that's like genuinely curious and heard about the product mm-hmm. and then you get a lot of these older people that are like i didn't know alcohol why would i do that <laughs> that's funny yeah it's like oh but like it's genuinely good yeah and we drink it more often than we drink regular beer yeah and so, yeah, so we've been doing a lot of beer pouring events for them because they have a partnership with Altera Resorts. Cool. Which is the owner of Solitude in Deer Valley. Yeah. And so we've been doing some stuff with them there. Um, and, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. I, that, that's literally been, like, the main gist of my life, except for when I'm at home struggling with the dog. Aw, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. fun. Uh, but, yeah, so, like, basically it's, like, ski, yeah. working on getting back to Congo, and... yeah. 
beer pouring. Beer pouring. And cool. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we can have mountain bike season soon. Yeah. But it's going to take know. a while yeah. for the snow to melt. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to start this weekend in a crazy You way. think? Oh, it's supposed to be like 65 this weekend. Oh, it's that's 50 good. out right now. Yeah. And it snowed 67 inches up at the resort this week. I know, it's crazy. How, yeah. how was that, like filming in the <laughs> record snow of Utah? Uh, I mean, it's been fun to ski and yeah. get some really cool footage that we wouldn't necessarily have gotten otherwise. Yeah. Um, it's been great because there's just been an insane amount of opportunity. Cool. Uh, I, most of my skiing and ski filming has been uh, resort related, okay. whereas there is a whole other realm with backcountry yeah. uh, type work. Uh, but, I mean, it's just been all around amazing. And, cool. like, you get really cool objectives. There's a lot of features that are more easily accessible now because, mm-hmm. like, a lot of cliffs and stuff like that are more accessible because the snowpack below them has built up. Oh, cool. Um, like, if you go up to Brighton, which is my usual resort of mm-hmm. choice, um, shout out Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> um, the On the cross lift, which is their main lift, yeah. there's a cliff two-thirds of the way up the lift, and the cliff is not really a cliff anymore. It's literally, like, fully, like, like, you could literally ski down the face of it because it's basically covered in snow now. Cool. And so it's just one of those things that like these things, it's just very different. Yeah. And so it's just interesting seeing how things are different. And it's yeah. just been super fun getting to do a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. And like I, I there's a Greyhound bus from the 70s up at Powder Mountain in the oh. middle of the woods. And how did it get there? It was someone... I forget the exact story. It, it'll, I, I'd have to go listen to the raw audio from the yeah. episode because we got it explained to us by our guide. Um, but someone that worked with the resort back in like the 80s lived out of the thing and drove it up there and then never moved it. Oh. And So it's literally in the middle of the woods and like people throw parties in the thing normally. But the bus is now under the snowpack. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just been a wild year that like yeah. things are different, and yeah. it's been fun. Huh. Good. Yeah. That's exciting. Hopefully next we'll year is just as good. Yeah, we'll see how the spring is though. It's gonna be nuts. The it's, flooding. We're gonna have massive flooding issues. Yeah. And I'm glad that, that I don't live right at the bottom of the canyon. Yeah. Oh, we do. Well, you're where we are in the foothills. Yeah. Is not nearly as bad as like the base of Cottonwood. Oh, got it. Yeah, like because yes. like yes, there's snowpack above us here. Yeah, but it's not like the snowpack that is up at the Cottonwood. Yeah, it's, like it's it. Brighton mm-hmm. is at a hundred ninety-seven inch snowpack. Wow, which, Alta hit seven hundred. Well, no. Oh, I'm talking like the hard pack, like what's oh. underfoot. The, I don't know this stuff. Um, we've. Alta and Brighton and Solitude and Snowbird, I think, have all hit 800 inches of snowfall. Mm-hmm. Alta and Brighton, I think, are at like 880. Wow. Which is insane. I made a joke in January that we might hit 850. I was not expecting it to actually happen. <laughs> um, I also was not expecting a 67-inch yeah. snowstorm. In yeah. Um, yeah, it's been nice. But yeah, so they have eight, like 16 feet worth, 17 feet worth of hard packed snow that's got to go somewhere hmm. once it melts. Yeah. 
And that's all going to go straight downhill. And like, yes, there's going to be some coming this way. Yeah. But a lot of it's going to go into Cottonwood Heights. That's not good. Crazy. I mean, have you seen any of the footage of like the stuff from 1983, which was the last time we had a snow no. like this? I'll send it to you. Okay. It is insane. Yeah. Like literally people kayaking on State Street. Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like we're going to have issues over here. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I, I think going a little further south is going to be more of an issue. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Do you think it's going to help the Salt Lake at all? It's already gone up like a foot. That's good. I don't know how much that actually needs. I don't know. In 1983, Utah Lake overflowed. Hmm. So. Yeah. Who knows? We'll see. Cool. It's, it's a matter of where it all actually like ends up like yeah. flowing to. And yeah. how fast. Because like, I was reading an article the other day. If it evaporate, if it warms up too slowly, a lot of the snow will evaporate. Like the moisture will evaporate back into the sky. Okay. If it goes too fast, we'll have massive flooding issues and it does no good. Okay. So, like, there's a weird, delicate balance of, like, warming up too fast. Like, it has to warm up at the right amount. Huh. At the right time to get maximum watershed yeah. growth. And oh do we actually have that possibility? I have no idea. Huh. I think we're going to have massive flooding issues where it just goes way too fast because we're at a point when it could easily be 80 next week. Yeah. That's nuts. It's April. So yeah. It, we'll see. It's... Yeah. Huh. That's crazy. <laughs> that's a stay tuned. Yeah, that's a that's a stay tuned. Yeah. No. Part three. Part three. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. What yeah. else do you have going on besides like for the future? Besides your big trip? What are, uh, what are your I mean, goals? I I'm in a weird spot. Okay. Where I spent the last three years having to like step away from my goal of yeah. doing work overseas. Yeah. And it's starting to become a pos- possibility again, but I also know that it's not a full-time possibility. Oh, like it's coming back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so like okay. opportunities to go into some of these places yeah. are starting to come back. It's different from what I was working on. The places that I was right before COVID, I'm not going back anytime soon. Okay. Uh, just way too, we'll just okay. leave it not soon. Yeah. Um, and other opportunities are starting to come up, whether it's Congo, uh, whether it's Congo or other things like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's also trying to figure out how can I bring that type of thing into domestic work? Okay. How can I help that impact my community here? Hmm. Um, now actually living in Salt Lake City, yeah. I have a place that I can say is my home. Yeah. So how do I make it truly feel like home? How do hmm. I make my impact on my home? That's a good And question. so it's been a lot of like evaluating what's next lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of just going from, and just starting to see where things stick. Uh, building it's a lot of relationship building for me right now mm-hmm. trying to find some new clients some new partners to work with because i'm at a point where working by myself isn't as enjoyable mm-hmm. i want to work with other people that have similar like mindset yeah um and also have like want to do things well mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that want to do things but there's a lot of people that want to do things cheap and mm-hmm. like trash yeah and so how do I find that balance and like find the people that I really do work well with? And so that's kind of been like a lot of what life's been and just yeah. like 
kind of just scoping out what is next and like how it's going to look. I don't know how life's going to look. Yeah. Uh, that's the beauty of life is I can take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was going to be working in the ski industry yeah. filming like I was. If you asked me <laughs> last fall that I would have a series like DP credit yeah. as part of like an ongoing thing that we're trying to expand. Yeah. Um, because we're actually planning to take it outside of Utah. Oh, cool. Resort thing. Cool. Um, Fun. You should <laughs> do the Midwest. Easter. We, it's all a matter of where we get funding. Yeah. Like we have, we have a couple places we really want to hit. Cool. But it's a matter of getting the funding and timing to do it all. Yeah. Because again, ski and ski time is, especially in the Midwest and the East Coast. Yeah. Very limited. Oh yeah. And so you're also talking plane mm-hmm. flights, putting people up. Mm-hmm. gets expensive really quick whereas yeah. here in utah it's like okay we're going out for a day yeah we're going out for two days oh. whatever it's so but like if we go to the midwest we have two travel days plus film day plus mm-hmm. you might have to have a leeway day for weather mm-hmm. um so you're talking whereas we have something for one day here you're talking five days yeah and so it just gets a lot more expensive really mm-hmm. quickly yeah but that's where having local sponsors in different places comes in yeah that's yeah. so exciting, though. Yeah, so on big one day at a time. Yeah, um, but cool. we are definitely like excited with the way that the that series is going, and mm-hmm. we'll see where things go as it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I have one more question, and okay. I'm gonna spin it. So, Ooh. if you could go anywhere in Utah, where would you not go? Where would I not go? Oh. Only in Utah, though. Only in Utah. I like the spirit. <laughs> now I actually have to think about this. Ooh. Park City. Why? Because it's touristy. Well, it's like it's it's all but it, it is very touristy. It does have my favorite brewery in town or in the entire state. Offset. Okay, I haven't yeah. been there. Go. Okay. It's the best beer in Utah. Hmm. Um, and I, multiple people will agree with that statement. Okay. Um, but uh, I just. Like, like, I literally go up there to go mountain biking mm-hmm. or skiing or to offset. Yeah. I have no desire to go up there for anything else. Hmm. Like, I don't, like, I'd rather go walk around downtown Salt Lake yeah. than go walk up and down Park City. I'm, like, the stores and stuff that are there, I'm not going to shop in, really. Like, yeah. it's just the nature of the beast. Like, I, Interesting. it's not my pref- my preference. I would much rather be down in Hanksville, down in Capitol Reef, mm-hmm. like any of those, like I'd rather be out in the windows. Like yeah. I'd rather be all these other places than Park City. Sorry. And like, it's nothing against it. It's a fun place to go mm-hmm. for different times and different purposes. But like, if I had the ability to go anywhere, I would not go to Park City. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good answer. I've never asked like the local. <laughs> I usually ask where in the yeah. world. Yeah. So. Well, we asked yeah. that one the first time. So that yeah. was a good spin. Thanks. Yeah. I thought about that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thanks for being on the show again. <laughs> oh, dude, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> that was my interview with Simon Eisenbach. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to check out our part one. Um, you can find Simon on his website at seisenbach.com. You can also find him on Instagram, Simon Eisenbach, and YouTube. You can always click his links in the show notes, but I really hope you found our conversation interesting and insightful. His stories and adventures just blow me away, so it was great to catch up with him. 
If you like this episode, check out my other interviews. I can guarantee you'll find all of my guests just so interesting and exciting. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I can't wait to see where you go. Bye!